politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots, to the one and only CR podcast here at Blaze TV on Monday. New week here, Christmas week, and I am out of town training in the desert with my favorite firearms instructors at Front Sight Nevada. So that's why you guys are hearing this later. This is a pre-record, but I did promise you guys I would give you a bonus episode at least one day before we break for Christmas. I will be back hopefully one or two times New Year's week as well. So you are not left in the dark. And again, we will be posting videos on the Miniman Speak Easy Facebook fan page. So you could at least see a couple of our updates. Because look, I can't leave you hanging in this time of peril. We all debated this academically. Like, yeah, you know, what would ever happen if a time would come and our government turned tyrannical? And it was kind of a joke. Like, yeah, that's never going to happen here in America. Um, Yes, we have a pretty lousy government. For most of our lives, it was riddled with hedonism, profligacy, selling us out, pay for play. I mean, this is bad stuff, but it's not like we can't live. We never would have realized talking December 20th, this time last year, that we would have a year where we would have the worst mix of anarchy and tyranny. The very same politicians that are releasing the most violent prisoners are using the very same excuse, the very same pretext to release prisoners, to lock up business owners, people for not wearing a gag, a muzzle on their face. We could never have imagined this, certainly not so quickly. And if it would have happened, we could have never imagined they would be able to cut through it like butter, just implement it without any modicum of opposition successfully almost anywhere, everywhere, red state, blue state. Of course, there is no such thing as a red state, but that's really why we're here today. How to create a red state, how to create a red county first where we could create some sort of last vestige for civil and religious liberty in this country. And I just wanted to throw out one observation before we bring on our special guest to guide us on this journey as we head into the new year, how to really activate our base, how to organize for liberty, how to stand against tyranny. We all read in the Declaration of Independence that we have a duty, not just a a right, but a duty. And this is reiterated in most of the bills of rights of states, often at the very beginning of their state constitutions, that you have a duty to alter, abolish, or reform your government if it turns tyrannical. And that's not just academic. That's real. Now, we're not there directly because we've allowed the cancer to grow 20, 30 steps without doing much of anything. So you got to crawl before you could run. Obviously, we're in the right here, and we have a moral obligation and right to abolish this government for what it's doing. But practically speaking, how do we at least use the existing structure to fight back against tyranny? I mean, where government just knocks on your door and says, hey, you aren't wearing a mask, you opened a business, you're going in cuffs. And we actually have room in our jail cells because we just let out your favorite child molester and murderer. Um, So there's plenty of room to put you in there. And I did want to say, because this ties into the degree of activism that we have to explore. A lot of people ask me, well, Daniel, what does anarcho-tyranny mean? I mean, isn't anarchy and tyranny, um, aren't they antonyms? Aren't they two different things, two opposite things? But really, I want to show you how they merge. Because If you look at its core, what's going on now, why is it that you could have BLM blocking interstate highways, burning, looting, beating, maiming, burning down police stations, and like 99% of them don't even get arrested? And the few who do, obviously, they drop the charges. Um, Almost nobody is serving meaningful time out of the tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of perpetrators. Nobody is serving any time. And you'd say, man, that's anarchy. But really, it's tyranny. It's not that, oh, they're even willing to go after people like Larvita McFarker in Minnesota 
while they let out murderers and rioters. No. The murderers and rioters are the enforcement arm. It's not just the anarchy. It is the tyranny because that allows them to create this new order, this new concoction of fundamental rights. There's a right based on your race and political ideology to do certain things that infringe upon other rights. And we redefine legality, morality, fundamental rights, but also they serve as the enforcement arm. You see, we have a right to take away your business because if we don't, they're going to riot. We have the right to steal an election. Ba- basically, what, what it, this comes down to with the election, the courts all know – I mean, and I'm talking about the ones that are like at least borderline sane among the Republican appointees, not like the total crazies. They know that there are serious problems here. We're starting to hear rumors about some of these deliberations with the judges. It's just that the fix is in. They're like, dude, uh, look, at the end of the day, if Trump really won and the election goes to Biden, the Trump people aren't going to riot and they're not going to beat people up and burn down public property, private property. But by golly, if we you know rule in favor of some sort of motion that would set in process or set in 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 motion some sort of process that would lead towards trump somehow winning which of course could never happen given the orientation of republicans in the legislatures and in congress but they're gonna riot we can't we can't have this you see where we're headed with this one side is able to show force so much that they benefit, they reap the benefits of their anarchy, and they get, not only do they get off scot-free, but they get their priorities codified in culture, in politics, and even legality. BLM is now a thing. It's a thing in law. It's a thing in politics. Like, BLM, like, you got to do that, right? How do we replicate that? Notice that they get what they want. Oh, Daniel, I'm not for violence. Well, the lesson they're telling us is that violence is the answer. Now, the question is, what could we do short of violence to at least start putting on some sort of pressure? And of course, of course, of course, none of us are ever saying, oh, I'm upset with government because of something. Therefore, I'm going to burn down a third party's private property and attack random people. None of us are ever suggesting that. But our point is, what they're doing is so egregious, yet it works for them. Why can't we use the principles of the American Revolution, the principles of Rosa Parks, to at least apply a peaceful pressure to get on the map. With us today is super duper local activist Shannon Joy. She's a radio show host in Rochester, New York, WHAM. Make sure you catch her daily show. Shannon, thanks so much for joining us on this special show. Daniel, I'm so glad to be with you. Happy holidays. Happy Hanukkah. Merry Christmas to your audience. I love coming on your show. And Merry Christmas to you and Happy New Year's. You certainly deserve um, some time off. You've worked very hard this year. You rarely take off um, because when you're not on the radio, you're doing something else. Um, You are becoming, you have become a really, um, together with some of your friends, an inspiration for a lot of people building a model of local conservative activism in Monroe County, New York. I want to base this discussion in the prism through the prism of Larvita McFarker, who is as of the time of this recording being threatened with imprisonment. She might have wound up being thrown in jail. And I look to myself and I say, how did we get here? Why do I feel so helpless? How could this happen in America that the wheels of justice could churn in a way that we don't have the ability to close ranks around her in a way that even if physically you don't come to a shooting war, but at least just politically, it would become so taboo for them to execute such a warrant on par with the BLM things where it just became taboo. Like you cannot arrest them. How do we build such a movement at a local level and take as much time as you need? Well, you mentioned first, how did we get here, Daniel? And that's something that I have pondered and tried to figure out really for the past eight years since I launched my radio program in Rochester, New York. And the reason we're here, as best I can tell, is because the individual 
conservatives and Republicans have been following the Pied Pipers of talk radio, conservative media, conservative movements in the Republican Party for the past 30 years. And we have accepted a lie. And the lie is that Democrats are evil, liberals are the worst, they're stupid and incompetent, and the only we should make fun of them and make a joke about it. And the only way that we can ever win anything is by electing Republicans specifically at the federal level. All right. So our eyes have been drawn off of where our true power is, which is local. That's what matters. The dirty little secret that the progressive party, I call the unibrow party that sits over top of the Democrat and Republican parties that are, are inherently broken and corrupt. The dirty little secret is that nothing can happen from the federal level or the state level. Andrew Cuomo has very little power. The federal government has very little power if they are unable to get buy-in from the local level. Right now, there's a compact, and the locals pretty much do what they're told, but that's a very tenuous relationship. And what drives change is organization. You talked about how does BLM do this? How did they get this in place? Everything is about organization. And the left has understood that for the past 50 to 100 years, as they have made their long march through our institutions at the bottom-up level with the writings of Saul Alinsky, which informed Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama, some of the two of the most you know, successful Democrat uh, politicians, Hillary Clinton in terms of her husband, but also Barack Obama. Everything was about community organizing. Now, our big talkers made fun of community organizers, and they led us off of the path. We have chosen to take the easy way out. We have sat back as conservatives and accepted the lie that these problems can be solved by simply electing a white yep. a white knight on a horse. You have to accept that truth first before you start with anything else. We have lost at the federal level. We have lost at the state level. We have lost our institutions. We have lost our schools and our churches. There is no way to fix it from the outside in. There is no way to go into Washington, D.C. and reform it. We should know now <laughs> after four years of President Trump and two years of a trifecta. It's over. It's done. We have to retreat to higher ground, so to speak, understand that we've lost and create an entirely new playbook. And that is bottom up. It's the harder way, Daniel. <laughs> you know what you remind me of? It's like when we go camping and we're really tired and hungry and you just want to like chuck the stuff in the fire and, and think <laughs> it's just going to catch. But there's no shortcut. You got to build it properly with the tiered layers of, of you know, kindling and, and structure it properly. It's got to be very gradual. It's got to be bottom up. And I think yeah. that's a really terrific point. So. Let's again try to use some specifics to see of like, you know, here's what should happen and, and let's see how we get there. You take um, Larvita in Lyon County, Minnesota, where okay. just a lovely woman who has a family oriented restaurant with a gymnastics gym attached to it for kids. People can have fun. It's a really just nice place. Um, all her, her crime is opening her business. I mean, li literally, like even in China, they're not doing this. Now, right. at a time when in Minnesota, they're letting out violent criminals and everything like that. So the attorney general, Keith Ellison's like, dude, um, we're taking you to court in not even your own county at a state level. Um, and, you know, because the county is pretty conservative and they're not going to go after her. even the regional health board, which is usually pretty bad. But they they voted to. Uh, have her you know keep her license they, mm -hmm. they they did you know that that worked like so you're saying at wins. a county level worked but she's in a blue state and and even the red states so most of them are blue too so they'll they'll come after you and they the the judge is going to issue a warrant for her arrest now we could talk about the morality of some of these state troopers that will come and do it but i am under no illusion that they have a lack of supply of these people to go down but what I think should happen is this. So so 
let's look at the sanctuary. We talked about BLM. Let's look at the sanctuary city movement. Um, this is something that is unconstitutional. It is clear from the times of Madison and Roger Sherman that the feds, one of the reasons they went from the Articles of Confederation was so that the feds would have control over who comes into the national union because you traverse the national sovereignty before state sovereignty. And they didn't want, you know, states trying to juice up their representation and bring in like a torrent of people that really we don't want. And so that was very federal. That was one of the few things that is legitimately a federal job. And the states were like, Hey, screw you. Like we're not doing this. I mean, the type of thing that if you and I would say people like, come on, that could never happen. And, and like butter every single blue area. It's not like some of them, every single state, every single County that they control, they're like, screw you. We're not doing that, buddy. We'll criminalize. They, they actually, in New York and California, criminalized the enforce, like, we'll arrest you if you enforce immigration law. And it's like, it's known. It's a no-fly zone. Like, yesterday, Cuomo said, you know, we're, we're not going to, you can't arrest at courthouses. You ICE agents, like, screw you. How? So we don't have, because they built an organization where, all the NGOs, all the county officials, all the state officials are all in sync and they're able to say to the feds, screw you. And the feds were left with nothing but crying to the courts. And of course, the courts are like, talk to the hand. How do we get to a point? What are the things we need to do for people like Larvita where we would have a scenario where the sheriff is standing there with his deputies, not necessarily with their guns pointed, but with their arms folded, surrounding Larvita at her business. The people are out there on the ground holding hands with her. The county commissioners are have bullhorns and they're, you know, citing chapter and verse of the law of the Constitution and the fallacy of Corona fascism. And you know, look, ultimately, if they want to come in there as state troopers with flashbangs and mow people right. down, they could officially do that. But I think we don't think we're quite there and it would be a little bit too painful for them to do that. I don't see us having that. Why not? And how do we get there? And I think you already said the why not. Well, yeah. So this is going to depend on the maturity of the organization and the movement for liberty in Lyme County, Minnesota. And so what you're explaining to me, it sounds as if Lorita is kind of isolated. There really isn't a, a mobilized and activated group. Now, I can tell you here in Monroe County, we have, I mean, we're battling a million different things. We're in New York State. But I can tell you right now, if Andrew Cuomo was threatening to arrest a, a restaurant owner in Rochester, New York, it would not happen without a fight. <laughs> you know, we would be able to mobilize very quickly because we have different groups. We have individuals who have identified different areas. We have uh, a woman who started an education group, Rock for Educational Freedom. We have uh, two individuals who created uh, created to support law enforcement groups in opposition to BLM. We have a business group, Reopen Rochester. We have a group that is focusing on elderly issues, Save Our Seniors. And we are all continually, we're on text chains together, we're on email chains together. We all follow each other on social media. We ping each other whenever anything truly outrageous is happening. Now, we still aren't even mature enough, but if you're dealing with a situation in Lyme County where that just doesn't exist, then you have a situation where Larida is going to have to determine for herself, you know, how far she's willing to go and what she's willing to do. I can tell you, Daniel, the images and the optics of, of that Minnesota governor arresting a single mother of two business owner in Lyme County is, is something that could spark a movement. If there is no movement there, then that's something that could spark a movement because when people see it, when it's videotaped, that is what creates bad press. And there, if there's one thing that elected officials absolutely hate, we, we are wrong. When we go to elected officials and we, we ask them, we petition them, we ask nicely, we try to educate them, we give them information, we do all this ni nice lobby lobbying. No, 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 no. You need to inflict pain. You need to inflict pain on elected officials. And governors, you know, federal officials, it's very hard to get to them. They have been very successful at insulating themselves from the public. And they're used to lawsuits. They're used to the 24-hour news cycle. They're new, used to bad press. I'll tell you who really reacts to this type of pain, and it's your local officials. Local school boards, local judges, local county executives, 
local sheriffs. And so the, the first step with Larvita would be to say, okay, who is, who is it locally that is implementing this governor's agenda? How do we isolate that individual and begin to apply pain, letters, emails, phone calls, bad press, bad tweets, calling them out, lots of sunlight, lots of transparency, always focusing on truth, right? Then, you know, some of these are tactics that the left have used and they'll use deceit and dishonesty. And that is not what I'm advocating. Um, We have the truth on our side and we're looking for transparency, but these people need to be held accountable. That type, you can send 10,000 people to the to capital of Minnesota to protest the governor over this. And it's not going to he's not going to blink an eye to that. And that we've seen that in New York State. Yeah. But you send 20 emails to a school superintendent and the school board saying, if you shut this school down, we are going to find three people to run against you and we are going to kick you out of office. And you follow that up with social media, phone calls and emails. They pee their pants, Daniel. <laughs> OK, they pee their pants and they begin then to apply pressure to the state. And they say things like this to Andrew Cuomo in the in the health department. You don't understand. We can't do that. I have 72 residents with pitchforks outside of my doors and they're ready to vote us all out of office. You are asking too much. We can't do it. Right now, we're making it too easy for them to simply comply. And local officials want to take the path of least resistance. They don't want to ruffle feathers. But if we don't have any opposing organization on one side to apply that pressure, if the left dominates all of that because of the infrastructure that they've built from the local level, from the bottom up, and it's a fake infrastructure, by the way. It's all funded. It's just a handful of activists that are paid right? It's not real. They just dominate everything. The only way to temper that or to address that is with that local mobilization on the other side. And it is hard work to put that together. I'm not going to sugarcoat it for your audience. Okay. This is again, not the easy way, but it's the right way. It's the lasting way. And what happens locally will then filter up to the state level. And what filters up to the state level will eventually filter up to the federal level. That's how you reform Washington, D.C., by a very strong and robust local community that understands their constitutional authority, which is evident. You know, Alexis de Tocqueville under Democracy in America, what did he write about? He wrote about rotary and local government. He came over looking for the brilliant bureaucrats that created this amazing economy after the revolution. And he went to Washington, D.C. and said that he found a swamp full of unimaginative people. The real United States of America was in these robust, active local governments who took very seriously their job to address the social needs and the and the basic issues, political issues. It was never meant for the federal government to have anything to do with that. The only way to fight the federal government is through a reimagined and reinvigorated understanding of what our local governments are meant to do. Your locally elected Democratic school board represents your community. They are not designed to be a rubber stamp for any governor or any health department. If that were the case, they wouldn't exist. You have a county legislature for a reason, which is the supreme lawmaking body in your community. They have constitutional power. They have state constitutional power. They have authority. They just don't use it because it's easier, right? They can take their little paycheck and be a community leader and put it on their resume and it looks really nice. And all they have to do is basically implement what the state says. Well, at some point, the state and the federal government become so tyrannical and so unjust that you have to step back. You have to fight back to them. And our local officials will not do it unless they're pushed from the people. Exactly. And look, you know, if you're in San Francisco, if you're in Baltimore, you're done. But but there are plenty of places in the country where I think these people aren't like evil to the core, but like you're saying, they'll take the path to least resistance. Now, I want to take this discussion on to law enforcement. I've been bringing up a very important point the last few weeks, and, and it's really a realization that I didn't fully ponder until recently that, you know, we're, we're, we're sitting and shaking in our boots from these tyrants, the, the county executives and mayors and governors 
But the truth be told, they only have the power based on one thing, and that is the police force. Whether it's sheriffs, police departments, uh, state troopers, that that's where the power is. I mean, without that, they're just a bunch of lunatic, anti-scientific buffoons getting up there you know every few days just uh spewing garbage and 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 like any other lunatic they should be locked up but i mean they have no power that's really where the power is and i said to myself that's a sad bitter pill we're the ones sitting in supporting law enforcement everyone else is spitting on them and they're doing violent crimes and getting away with it and the police seem so weak and then suddenly with us it's like look we gotta do it i'm gonna be shut down i'm gonna be arrested i'm thinking wait a minute Where's our leverage? And so the question is, how do we prospectively develop community relations with some of these people? And especially when you go outside of the real big cities, they naturally are going to be sympathetic to us, but that's not enough as we're going to see and say, look, dude, you swore an oath to the Constitution. This is over the line to arrest a a mother opening a business. You know, this is not, you know, this is nothing you could justify. You are going to be there with us. Otherwise, we're joining BLM. Where is the leverage? How do we leverage that? Well, there's a, a good case study from Rochester, New York, with you know what we were able to accomplish. And again, there's more to accomplish. I, you know, a, a lot of this, Daniel, is trying out tactics and techniques and just doing stuff and figuring out what works. A lot of some of it doesn't work. You know what I mean? But you just you keep trying things and and figuring out you know which group groups you can activate which groups you can't and so a lot of this i mean with me with my audience it's always a, a learning experience but in rochester new york we had the issues in me national news uh many many months ago with blm turning out over a three-day period and just raising the city burning looting rioting they beat uh, a, a a small white woman in city in the city of rochester with a two by four which made national news um it was you know really really a, a truly horrific event in the city of rochester and that was all coming out of the blm protests they'd turn out people day after day after day, it seemed like they had unending resources. They had all of these organizers up, you know, from you coming up from nowhere. Antifa was there and they were really beginning to dominate, dominate the discussion in the community. And everything was moving towards this defund the police. All white people are racist. It's okay to burn and loot and and terrorize. This is all justified. And they were just dominating the narrative. And you could see the, the, the sheriffs and the police officers they ended up going to the rallies. They ended up, you know, sitting down on the ground while being lectured by the the BLM activists. They were <laughs> beginning to accept the narrative. In addition, at the same time, we had the first instance in Rochester, New York, where the sheriff's department was used by the health department to illegally and unconstitutionally arrest a citizen without a warrant, without a crime being committed for the quote unquote crime of not wearing a mask or following health recommendations from the health department in Monroe County. So it was a big problem here. You had, you know, exactly what you're talking about. The police, you know, becoming the goons for the health department and abrogating their duty on the streets to, to, you know, arrest criminals. Now it's not because they wanted to, it was because the entire narrative was being shoved down their throat. Right. And so at that point, you know, I had gone on the radio and and really had um, really criticized the sheriff very publicly on social media and radio. Around the same time, you had organizers, uh, two people that I've had the privilege to work with now for many months, uh, Charles DeFrank and Roberta Irwin, who put together True Blue New York and Blue Line Ride and Rally. And these were organizations dedicated to combating the narrative of BLM and supporting law enforcement. Right. And they begin to turn out. Wayne County made national news. 10,000 people outside of the city of Rochester in support of law enforcement in the Constitution, flags and patriotism, thousands of people turning out. We did it in Steuben County. We did it in Livingston County. We did it in Monroe County. And what the sheriff began to see in our community was that, yeah, BLM could turn out a thousand people. By the way, they call you all pigs. By the way, they throw frozen water bottles and fireworks at your police lines. By the way, they completely destroy the city, right? They have a thousand people every so often. 
we're turning out tens of thousands in your own community in support of you if you uphold your constitutional oath. And that made them wake up. That led to, and I'm so thankful for this, a, a, a conversation. I ran into the sheriff and uh, he said to me, Shannon, I'm mad at you because you never called me. You know, you had all these things to say. And we never had a conversation and I would like to have a conversation. That led to a conversation with him in his office. And we came to an understanding, you know, and he began to reiterate, he began to, to explain to me how he understood his constitutional role and how there are pressures from the health department, enormous amount of pressure from county health department, county legislature, state health department, state legislature, Andrew Cuomo. They want the police to do this for them. They can't do it on their own. They are paper tigers. They don't have the balls to do it, Daniel. And they want law, law enforcement to do it. And they're going to push it and push it. When these local officials, these local sheriffs saw they had so much support from the community, but that support was conditional on, on their upholding of the Constitution, it began to change the way they addressed things. And in Monroe County, since that day, since that meeting, there has not been a single arrest. In fact, uh, sheriffs from across New York State have begun to push back heavily. We saw this over the Thanksgiving break. We're seeing this again over Christmas saying to Andrew Cuomo, we're not enforcing any of your health mandates. And so that's a little example of how like in order, you have to battle organization with organization. That that's the way you do it. And then you have to get, you have to have conversations. You have to, you know, um, I, you know, first seven years of, of my radio career did focused mainly on national politics. I've always been a proponent of the local activation since my days. I, I figured this all out during the Common Core days. Um, but I never got involved in my own community, never had those conversations. But now through all of this, this mobilization, you know, I'm talking to people all the time. And the truth of the matter is that we want to we want to rage against Republicans. We want to rage against this sheriff. We want to rage against all of these politicians who aren't doing anything. But we have to understand if they don't think anyone's behind them. Yes. If they think they're going to stick their neck out and they've got nothing in way in the way of support, it's harder for them to do the right thing. And quite frankly, a lot of them don't even know that you care. They just are like, okay, I guess this is what the community wants. This is wants. where it's at. I mean, the, the only crime, you're a murderer if you don't wear a mask. You're a murderer if you open uh, the business. But you're not a murderer if you murder, especially if you're of a certain ilk that, you know, the, the political system views as is not a problem. And, you know, we, we kind of think as lawmen as very technical people, but it's not. I mean, we know we live in a time of judging the judges when – um, it's everything is political. It's all about where what's cool. And if they make something cool that, that it's taboo in society that you can't do, like walk without a mask, like you could do anything nowadays. Like people are so informal is not the right word. Like you could walk buck naked in a store and, you know, it won't be a problem. But you, right. if you walk without a mask, I mean, as long as you're, you're buck naked, but but then you have a mask on. Right. But if you go without a mask, that's something that you can't do because there's only one side has made that a culture. And by the way, folks, as I'm talking to Shannon, I'm just seeing the news here. A Houston cop killer committed to mental health facility is being released by a judge after just 10 years. And uh, this is another great example. And I think, you know, what what I take from your advice is that someone like me, I have 110,000 followers on on Twitter. It's not like enormous, but but it's substantial compared to most people. And, you know, I'll tweet at the governor and I'll tweet, you know, national stuff. It, it's not going to land. It's saturated. Like you said, they, they, they get it all the time. If you find this local dirtbag judge and these the, the, the sheriff and specific names within a county or state health department. Now, th that's very effective. Now, my question to you is this. Obviously, I'm sick of fighting honorably, but still <laughs> we do have honor in that it's not like we're going to, you know, either harm people's families and and harm other people. But the way so I don't like doxing and and I'm never advocating no matter what to like list someone's address and say to go to the home that that's something we're not doing and nor do you have to do that. But I do want to make clear here the difference here is 
we this is a purely defensive move. We are literally they are arresting our people for life, liberty, and property, and that's got to stop. How do we balance and find the right line there of really getting a hold of these dirtbags, or in some cases, maybe not such dirtbags, but people that are on the fence who need to be pressured without crossing the line in terms of what BLM does? Yeah, I would advocate. I think there should be really no holds barred except for I would never ever advocate going to anyone's home ever. I just I, I just because, quite frankly, I don't want them at my house. Right. Yeah, and if, no, if we exactly. do it, then, then you're opening up the door for it to come back to you. And so I think, you know, there's a line there. Um, I don't advocate lying. I think the truth is potent enough and you can really penetrate and you can really, really make them uncomfortable with transparency, sunlight and the truth. Um, I think in terms of the doxing, you know, again, you don't need their home, but but find out where they're going. We have moles. We were able to mobilize, Daniel, about 150 people in 1.5 hours when we got a tip from a local mole in an, in, within the news media who told us that Andrew Cuomo was coming to Rochester, New York. He came to some obscure church. He skulked in like the skunk that he is. You know, never told anyone he was coming because if we had a day's notice, we would have turned out 1,500. But we were able to find that out. We were able to find out where he was. And we sent everyone there. And we, there were jeers, there were boos, there were protests. The entire thing was disrupted. He never got to give away a single turkey. And he deserved it. Right? So, yeah, you want to throw it in their faces. You want to inflict as much pain as you possibly can. Like if a judge is going to do this to Larvita, if a judge is going to authorize this, find out his name, find out his email address, find out his Twitter account, find out his phone number, find out when he's meeting with his fancy meetings at the fancy restaurant and violating all of his own rules. Like find out everything about him. Again, don't go to his house, but find out every single way that you can get to him and make him take responsibility for the decision that he made. No, and I think I think that's the point. I mean, and 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 it's this is the dirty work, so to speak, that I think our side has always been reluctant. It's just not in our character or personality. We just want right. to mind our own business. But that's the point, folks. You can mind your own business. They're not letting you. It's not like we could be Noah's Teva like we kind of were. Okay, right. so you could live there with your Judeo-Christian values and do your thing right. with your family while the rest of the political system and country and culture is pro- profligate and you know, hedonistic and spending right. up us uh, up the wazoo like it's no longer like that it's like you can't live anymore i mean you know it's easy Daniel. for those of us who are like myself that i could earn a living from home and broadcast and write and do stuff politically from home and, and get a paycheck but what if you built a business from scratch that requires you to have a brick and mortar store or restaurant and that's your livelihood you can't run from this Right. Well, and the thing is, Daniel, you mentioned that it's dirty business. I can tell you right now, I have never been more fulfilled and more encouraged and more hopeful than this for this country than I have in these past eight months meeting so many people. When you focus on the truth, it is potent. When you are dealing with people who are lying and deceiving and who have built their house upon sand, right? Everything that they're doing, Daniel, is based on lies and manipulation and coercion. It's a very flimsy house. We think it's enormous. We look at Bill Gates. Oh, he's got a gazillion dollars. We we think that it's this Goliath. It isn't. It isn't. But when you penetrate that with the truth and you're not ashamed of it and you're not afraid of it, when you are righteously indignant, which is, I think, where we need to be not angry and irrational and waving our guns and going off half cocked, but we need to be with, we have wisdom and understand we are up against in some cases, truly evil people. Yes. Truly evil people who know that there are people like George Thomas and Rose, you know, people, families I've dealt with whose grandparents, 92 years old veterans locked in nursing homes, isolated for eight months tortured to death by the thousands in Rochester. And these are people who know it. They can't ignore it. The The story in Rochester has made national news. Daniel, NBC 
has done a three-part series, full-length documentary on three families here in Monroe County because it is so egregious and so evil. Our county executive knows about it. Mike Mendoza, our county health director, knows about it. We've been, these women have been on the street corners, the street corners outside their offices protesting, begging to see their grandfather and their mother or their grandmother, okay? We are on the right side of history. There's nothing dirty about it, but it is being firm and not letting these people get away with it and not being afraid to get out there and tell the truth. If people did that, we have so many people, teachers, administrators, superintendents, doctors, nurses, people in government, republic, everyone's just afraid. Yes. It's a crisis yes. of cowardice. Yes. I don't know about you. But from where I sit, and this is where I disagree a little bit with Dr. Atlas. I had him on last week, and he, boy, he was such a prince of darkness. He outshined <laughs> me. Um, and and he was like, we're screwed. This country is headed to a dark place, no! and everyone's brainwashed. And, and I, I agree that? with him at a political level. But I think with the people, and I'm not, I'm not very, I don't have that much confidence in people. But what I do see, I know from everyone I associate with, in my community, the Karens really are a small minority. Most people, when you engage them in conversation, yeah, like this is stupid. It's not that they're bought into it. And and if they were originally, certainly after eight months of the failure, they recognize it's stupid, but they just don't know what to do. And they're just yeah. kind of scared. Everyone just wants to put one foot in front of the next, one day in front of the next. Okay, here's what here's the you know blackmail I need in order to okay, the kids school's open, so we do the stupid testing and the quarantining and the masking. Okay, I'll do it. Okay, this is what we need to do to have a store open. Okay, I'll do it. And mm -hmm. it it's kind of like I feel like if you could have someone light the fire, everyone would laugh it off and, and the whole thing would fall down. It, it's close, Daniel. It's close. And I'm telling you, this vaccine issue, again, this is one, the yappers on talk radio will not address this, which I cannot understand. This vaccine issue is the issue of our time. This is going to be the debate of our time. And people don't want to admit it because it, this it this is that one issue that no one on the right or the left is afraid. They're terrified to touch it. And I think it has to do with big tech, big pharma, and just the gazillions of dollars that they have. So, so I wasn't out. planning on talking about this, but I think this is a perfect example of local activism. So so take us through this. They, they all have these plans, state and county implementation plans yeah. of vaccines. Oh, yes. Yeah. Use this as a model for what people could do to organize structurally and focus wise, where are the pressure points to really upend this regime? Okay, so first and foremost, I would say if you are looking for some of the most mobilized and activated groups in your county, so say you're alone right now, you wanna get involved, you can't find people, um, find your informed consent groups. Find your vaccine awareness groups. Uh, this is a topic, Daniel, I have been talking about for five or six years. There have been people who have been talking about this for over a decade. Cheryl Atkinson of CBS, the former CBS reporter, and Stonewall really got into this issue with the HPV vaccines. Um, this is something, it's an, a topic that has been suppressed for over a decade. And it's bubbling to the surface now because we are, for the first time, looking at this situation where they may have jumped the shark. They're yes. going to try to forcibly or coerce 340 million Americans into this untested and experimental vaccine. There's no other way that you can describe this after eight months. Now, first and foremost, the lesson from this, you can see the unibrow. This is put in place by President Trump. Operation Warp Speed, $8 billion, massive amounts to big pharma and big tech, and massive amounts to the um, you know medical industrial complex. And, and by the way, I don't mean to interrupt you, but yep. I just want to take a minute, hold the thought, because there's a unbelievably power, powerful juxtaposition. On Friday's show, I talked about with Dr. Uh, Dr. Rosemary Stein. She she her heritage, her parents are from the Dominican Republic, and 
she noted how in these two-bit countries that we view as backward third-world countries, they have given out kits to their people prospectively with zinc, vitamin D, ivermectin, and stuff that is so cheap, and it freaking works, and they have better results, spend a fraction of the money, don't have the tyranny in most of those countries, and and while we're we're sitting and pissing around with trillions of dollars with stuff that doesn't work or is unproven and could have collateral damage, and even if you're um, you know, I'm 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 not an anti-vaccine guy or even much of a vaccine skeptic, but this I think everyone agrees is a very different ball game given for, for two reasons. Number one, the speed at which they, they did it, and number two, we're now living in an era where every single thing these very people are saying has been disproven. Um, there is no science at all involved in in the medical establishment as there might have been when, you know, in the 50s, 60s, 70s, when some of the other stuff came out. So that is just a very powerful thing. But again, so they're they're spending tons of money. How is this percolating down? How do we shove it right back up where it came from? Well, so there are two elements here. There is the production of the vaccine. So they basically paid the R&D for Pfizer, Moderna. Uh, they exempted the pharmaceutical companies it, as all vaccine uh, makers are exempted from any liability. So most people don't know that, Daniel, that you cannot sue a vaccine maker in the United States of America for damages. And so you have this, you know, golden opportunity for big pharma at 1999, a prick, right? Two pricks, 340 million Americas, Americans, if Bill Gates gets his way, the entire global population, this is trillions and trillions. This is, this is, I mean, everything. I mean, if you want to follow the money, it's almost, it almost becomes very clear, you know, get a population so desperate to go back to school, go back to work, go back to normal and condition it upon their acceptance of this experimental product, which, by the way, is going to make people like Anthony Fauci filthy rich because there are patents involved here. CDC has patents involved. You got something, you know, this is big. This is big. Now, the rollout is what's interesting, which you can watch playing out. And this explains to everyone how the everything we're seeing is a national or global plan implemented locally. So everything they're doing, and this is why my show has national appeal, because I am talking about local stuff, but everything that is happening local is literally copied and pasted from county to county to town to town. They have the white papers that are compiled at Johns Hopkins University, and those are filtered down to the state level, and the state level pushes them out to the local level, and and copy and paste that. This is the same with legislation and a whole host of issues. Education, charter schools, common core, healthcare, everything is kind of built. The master plan is built up at the top, and then it's filtered out to the, the local. So you can listen to what we're doing in Rochester, New York, and, and apply that in Fresno, California, because the plans are essentially the same. They're not very creative, and they're not that smart either, right? But in this case, for the vaccine, it's the Johns Hopkins interim framework for alloca- of the allocation, the, the COVID-19 vaccine allocation and distribution. And this is basically the template and it has uh, two kind of sister doctor, uh, documents that are frameworks, about 36 pages. But this lays out the entire ma- manipulation. This lays out the entire strategy for the rollout of the vaccine. This is why they're targeting um, high stakes, or not high stakes, but um, at-risk health workers and the elderly first. And everything that you see happening in your community, if you read these documents, you'll be able to to see it happening, you know, in real time. And so right now I'm watching, you know, as they're, you know, contracting with trusted community members and doing paid celebrity endorsements of vaccines and all of the the images that we're seeing, the videos of the African-American doctor giving a vaccine to an African-American healthcare worker because they are they are anticipating hesitancy in black communities because of Tuskegee and, and other, you know, very, very sordid historic past with the United States government and testing on black people and sterilizing them. Right. So all this is laid out, but they are targeting and this is something your audience needs to understand. They are targeting people of color. They are targeting African-American communities first. And in this framework, they say, they say point blank in this Johns Hopkins framework, which is actually commissioned by the CDC. It's what all your state governments, governments are using. But they say point blank that we will not know 
the full extent of adverse reactions to this vaccine until we've administered it to millions of people. So they admit that right out, that it is an experimental vaccine. And the rest of the report explains how to trick African-American communities into accepting the vaccine. And they're starting with what they call high-risk healthcare workers. Well, they're talking about healthcare workers who are in nursing homes or in in-home situations, and they are predom predominantly black. And they, they talk about how that's a strategy. We don't want to come right out and say we're targeting black people. So we're going to talk about outbreaks in prisons. You're going to see those stories. We're going to talk about how COVID-19 disproportionately affects black people and they're more at risk. We're going to talk about how these healthcare workers need to be vaccinated first. We're going to talk about how, you know, you know, the, the hesitancy needs to be addressed. And so they lay it out, community members, churches, uh, community centers, we can't give the idea. You can't be heavily policed. We don't want them to think that we're forcing them, that we're manipulating them. I'll tell you, Daniel, and this is a, another aspect of the mobilization. We're out in the, in the city of Rochester protesting, you know, every couple of weeks. And so we meet a lot of people. And we're now making inroads, not with Black Lives Matters, amazingly. But what we're finding out is that under that umbrella of Black Lives Matter, there's this one faction and they're like the anarchist, communist, Marxist, violent, whatever. And there are other people who kind of like BLM because they just think it means Black Lives Matter. Sure. But they're not they're not Marxist. No, they like the police. And so I kid you not, Daniel, we are in the process of creating, you know, organizing a march and joining this march of uh, urban community members, very concerned about what's happening in this manipulation that we're seeing roll out before our eyes. And, you know, we are considering joining them, putting Christian conservative homeschool moms whose kids have been adversely affected or injured by vaccines together with urban black communities. In, in a protest against forced and coerced vaccination. We're, yep. we're looking to do that on January 1st. It'll be unprecedented. And, 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 and that, that's an important point, too. And we see it from the election returns as well. Um, you know, Trump broke through to all these uh, different different types of people that didn't traditionally vote Republican. And I think, you know, the fact that they went and voted for Trump, whatever Trump himself fulfills or doesn't fulfill, but the fact that in their mind they voted for him, they are clearly rejecting this stuff. And right. what it's demonstrating is, again, this is not a racial or even so much a geographical thing. It's it's really the people versus the elites, and it, and it crosses so many lines. But it's just a lot of people, they don't really have – anywhere to turn so you don't see them too much but there's untapped resources so so how do we do this with the forced vaccination at a local level because they'll say well okay you can't work you can't go to school you can't right. do this that's their leverage point how do you reverse that well we're starting it right now with a, an enormous amount of community pushback so we are we know dr elizabeth murray and dr mike mendoza and we have like a list of the you know community the paid sponsors they're all over twitter and you know so we're hitting them hard with a lot of facts and we, you know we all ping on one another we're beginning to uh, advocate and really challenge our Republicans in the Monroe County legislature to begin to do things. Up until now, they've done nothing and it's not okay anymore. And so we want action. We want legislation. We want to haul Dr. Mike Mendoza in front of the county legislature and question him. We want to put up doctors who can question him. We want information and transparency about the vaccine about the side effects, potential side effects, and we want that to get sunlight. And so, you know, we're beginning, we're in the beginning phases of this in Monroe County. I think what it's going to start with is could potentially be this March on the 1st. Um, if we get a couple hundred people there and, and they see the fact that we are now mobilizing with urban community members and churches and, you know, these organizations, that's going to be 
that's going to be a wake up call. And I'm telling you, Daniel, people are very uncomfortable. They've already kind of pushed this a little too far. People are uncomfortable with this idea of um, forced vaccination, but coer- I think you're right. Coercion is going to be where it is. They're not going to force this. That's a red herring. They're going to go to your employer. They're going to yes. go to your schools. And so this is why, like, if you're an employee, you have to get employee groups together. I, you know, I tell, going back to Larita, you know, I had a client who was a car dealership. He was going to head out to California because he's like half retired, whatever. And he said, Shannon, you know, Shannon, what should I do? I'm like, get your butt back to Rochester and you should be meeting with other car dealers every single week. You need to call every other car dealer and you need to form your own union. Yes. Local restaurants need to be calling yes. each other and forming their local union. You can't unions. go it alone. It, 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 they, they, they'll easily arrest one. It's hard to arrest 20. It, yeah, exactly. You have to have strength in numbers. And I say each individual community, you can start. I've already started this in Fairport, New York, where I live. Um, you know, Fairport United or Webster United, a taxpayer's union of Penfield, a taxpayer's union, like you need to almost essentially unionize taxpayers for the purposes of collective bargaining. It's there's power in groups. People wonder why are the unions so powerful? Because they're organized. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's, that's the way it is. Like, so we have to do that too. And so if you get 10 employees together and you preempt this with your employer and you say to your employer, listen, you are going to have a lawsuit on your hand. This vaccine violates my deeply held religious beliefs and I'm getting an attorney. We're going to write you a letter. Don't even try this. Don't even try. You got to scare your employers because they're going to be getting pressured. The, the county governments are going to say to them, well, we'll get you out of the red zone. We'll get you out of the orange zone. Hey, restaurants, you can go from 25% capacity to 50% capacity if you get all your employees vaccinated. So that's how the pressure is going to come down on the employers. The employees need to mobilize quickly. And I'm telling you, I th- there's there's already mobilization among nurses. Um, nurses have refused the flu vaccine forever. They've never been able to force nurses to undergo the flu vaccine in this country. And there are two recent lawsuits in Canada that even struck down the, the mandated mask. It used to be in Canada, Canada that during flu season, if a nurse didn't want to get the, the flu vaccine, she had to wear a mask. Well, that was struck down in Canada because they could find no, no evidence that masks stopped the transmission of the flu virus. <laughs> so, so this is in, in the United States of America, nurses get it. A lot of, they understand the healthcare system. They understand masking, even though they're not talking right now. And from what I'm being told behind the scenes, we get a lot, we have a lot of moles in the hospitals, doctors and nurses, uh, their nurses are already mobilizing. There's, there's no way in hell that, that they are going to submit their bodies to this e- experimental vaccine. And so, you know, those are some of the different ways, but really like forming those groups, um, and cutting this off before, you know, smothering the baby in the cradle, is the kind of, it sounds terrible, but it's like, you want to get out ahead of this and you want to begin to organize. And that's how we were able to keep the schools open in Monroe County, by the way. We saw the writing on the wall two weeks that all the superintendents were talking about shutting the schools down and it was kind of a fait accompli. It's the second wave. Cuomo really wanted it. And we mobilized, I mean, we, we came down like a ton of bricks on the heads of superintendents and school boards, like a ton of bricks. You are not closing these schools <laughs> Yep. and they wanted to, but they weren't able to do it. They weren't able to do it. And it was a miracle here that these schools are even quasi open. Most of them are, most of them are only open two days and, a week. And again, Shannon, the two issues dovetail because the more we're successful in building that firewall against the corona fascism, the less they can use the corona fascism as the coercive tool for the vaccination. And right. The two the two really go together. Um, Shannon, thanks so much for giving us the full hour today. I know you're very busy. This is, you know, likely gonna be our last show before Christmas. And it's really the theme that we need to set headed into next year, which is gonna be the pivotal year. Um, for whether we we have a, some sort of liberty in this republic, some sort of republic left, yeah. or we're just like North Korea. So um, thanks for everything no, you not, do. That's not going to happen, Daniel. We're not going to let that happen. Let me tell you, if we had more voices, like if we had more, there's so many brilliant people in in national positions that 
that can adopt this way of thinking. It doesn't mean you have to make your show a local show. It just means that you identify the things that work and present it to your audience. Yes. Like if we, you know, if we can push this out and convince some of the bigger thinkers, the bigger platforms, the, you know, Ben Shapiro's and the Glenn Beck's and the Mark Levin's and the Rush Limbaugh's and, you know, all of these to, to adopt this way of thinking, our, our country would change. Yes. Our country would change. It's just been suppressed. And so, you know, but I have a lot of hope. Wow. That, well, that, have, that is needed. That is definitely I do. needed. I and do. folks, you could catch her WHAM in Rochester. Um, she also is a member of our Minimum Speak Easy. So you could tag her there. Let's start some threads on this state by state, county by county. Try to make this work. Shannon, have a Merry Christmas. Happy New Year's to you. And let's keep fighting together. Thank you so much, Daniel. God bless you. You're one of the best. I tell everyone that one of the most brilliant thinkers, and I, I mean this honestly, like I am so thankful for what you do every day. You inspire me as well. So happy, happy new year, Merry Christmas and happy Hanukkah to you. God bless. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Bye. Wow, folks. Imagine if we had someone like Shannon in every county of the country had a bunch of people like her. Imagine if our movement would have been focused on building that campfire from bottom up with durability, just like the left does. And I think among the many, many very profound things that she has said today is that you look at the left and this is what they they, they do. Why is it that they are able to thwart the Constitution and the law and do the most dangerous, absurd illogical, immoral things and and easily get away with it. It's not like any one individual politician has to feel like they're out on a limb. It's because they build an organization, a public-private partnership in the local areas around them. And that's how an entire area is able to say, hey, not only aren't we enforcing immigration law, we'll, we'll, we'll arrest ICE agents and block them from courthouses. We could do that too. I fear it might be too late, and we needed to have done this a long time ago. But look, that's the best we can do for now, is to actually get organized. I do want to say that since I recorded the interview with Shannon, it was a couple hours early. This is Sunday now. You're going to hear it on Monday. The judge in Ramsey County did rule on Larvita's case. Now, the good news is she didn't lock her up right away. The bad news is she's ordering her to pay $250 for every day that she's opened and basically invited the attorney general to come back if she doesn't close. So it's very likely they will throw her in jail next time. And look, Larvita, you know, it's very easy for her to say, I took my stand. I was principled. Now I'm going to stop. She is not. She is a Patrick Henry. So we have to have her back. So I need you guys to go to givesendgo.com, a, a Christian uh, crowdsourcing website. Just go to the search function, type in Larvita. There's only one with that name, and you'll easily see her a picture of her with her daughters. And please donate, because to me, this is not even charity. To me, she is a national ambassador for us. We owe it to her. Um, if we want people to do this, I mean, and they find you $250 a day, we owe it to her. And by the way, isn't it interesting? This bitch of a judge, and that's what she is, Judge Sarah Gruing, okay? Oh, you have to pay $250. This piece of garbage is going to get her full salary, like all government workers do now, even though they have a decreased burden because they're letting everyone go and they're pushing off all these cases. Okay? So... She is looking Larvita and I and saying, you have to pay money. Folks, even if you agree that the government could do this for the good of the people, it's part of the taking clause of the Fifth Amendment that you have to compensate. You have to pay her to close. I mean, this is the thing. If you're going to ask them to close, at least pay them. Say, you have to pay. But that's another thing Shannon was pointing out. We need to start naming these people who aren't used to the heat. A county judge, they're not used to this. I want you to start looking at Sarah Gruing, okay? 
Sarah Gruing. Take a look at her. Okay. S-A-R-A-G-R-E-W-I-N-G. In 2017, she gave this guy who followed a 67-year-old woman into her apartment and fondled her, almost raped her, gave the guy time served. And she was lecturing Larvita. I didn't get a chance to look at the entire transcript, but was lecturing her about following the law and you're a threat to other people. You're, you're spread. Even though, again, I mean... Cuomo's own data, Switzerland has data, national, international, restaurants are not associated with spread. It's almost all in the house. And this piece of garbage lets out rapists. Ramsey County, because I was saying to myself, nobody is serving time in Ramsey County. There's a a crisis there. A former uh, prosecutor from there recently told the local media that, like, you know, this is one of the lowest incarceration rates in the country. It's almost impossible for repeat offenders to get locked up there. So I figured this woman might be a part of that. We need to start making people like Sarah Gruing very famous. Again, we're not going to show up at their houses like the left does. But very rigorously in a political sense, if she gets to lock people up and accuse us of doing things, we get to accuse her back. Okay, Freedom of speech is a very precious thing so long as we have it. And we need to start going after these local people. There's a lot of work to be done. I feel bad. I will be out for the rest of the week. Um, My tweeting will be pretty light as well. I'm going to be training at Front Sight Nevada with our buddies Patriot Academy. Um, They're going to become a very important partner to the show in the coming new year. So I do wish all of you on behalf of the entire Blaze team a Merry Christmas. We'll be putting out hopefully videos maybe towards the end of the week, over the weekend, into next week. Maybe we'll have one or two shows before New Year's. Definitely going to keep you updated next week on Twitter. Um, at Miniman Speak Easy, if you want to request membership in the Facebook page, um, just send in a request and Tino will confirm you. Folks, enjoy your family time. Celebrate to to your heart's content just to stick it to Fauci, the fascist, and all these people. And most of all, this time of year, we must all pray to God. For without his divine intervention, there is no natural way we can overcome this. But historically, we've been in such a position before, and, and God has bailed us out. So it starts with prayer, and then after that, it starts with strategizing and organizing. We have to start rethinking the way we approach politics. That's going to be the theme in the coming year. Thank you so much for making this show one of the fastest-growing podcasts in America. Thank you for sending this around to your friends and relatives. Thank you for standing strong with me this entire year. Next year is going to be a pivotal year. I know it. I feel it in my bones. And with God's help, we will persevere.